Our Bible reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and beginning at verse 27. It can be found on page 1145. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm just going to pray again as we start. Father God, please would you speak to us this morning. Please would you stir our hearts that we may hear from you and be changed by you. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Um, For those of you who don't know me, I'm Rachel. I've been coming to St. Jude's for about four years now with my husband, Rob. And we've got a little boy, Zachary, who's at the back and um, may make some noise. Who knows? Um, I've preached a couple of times at the 1045 when it was the 10.30 before, but it's been a little while, so thanks for having me again. As you may or may not know, we're currently in the middle of a sermon series based on two of our kind of three main church visions, and it's offering hope. Our vision says, becoming a beacon of hope where everyone can respond to the good news about Christ and experience restoration and freedom in him. So far we've looked at past hope, future hope, and last week Sam spoke beautifully and honestly about glorious hope. Today our theme is subversive hope. Now personally, if you're thinking what on earth does that mean, I'm going to say you're in good company because that was my first thought too. So I will get there. I have got a dictionary definition in case you're worried. But before we do that, I'm just going to ask you to take a minute or two to either, your choice, think about or speak to someone near you about your favourite underdog. If I said the word underdog, who would your favourite underdog be?
So hopefully I've given you long enough to think about that. Um, in case you were wondering, my favourite underdog is Matilda from the Roald Dahl book, or the film. Uh, I used to watch the film a lot as a child. I'm surprised the videotape didn't wear out. For those of you who don't know, she was a primary age school child whose family were pretty nasty and neglectful. She went to a school where she had a lovely teacher called Miss Honey, but an awful head teacher called Miss Trunchbull. And uh, although she was a child, she took on the seemingly strong and powerful Miss Trunchbull and ultimately came out on top. If you've not seen it or it's been a while, I'd recommend going home and watching it, even if it's just to dance to some of the excellent movie in that, uh, music in that film. Whoever your favourite underdog is, I would guess you probably have one. It seems to me that the world loves an underdog. We root for those who seem to have little chance of winning. We love to share in their surprise and their joy as they exceed expectations that have been put on them. And I think that there is a godly reason for that. And it's wrapped up in this theme that we're looking at today, subversive hope. So let's take a look at what that means. As I said, dictionary definition for you, dictionary.com says that to subvert means to overthrow or to undermine the principles of something. And it says that subversive is tending or intending to subvert or overthrow, destroy or undermine an established or existing system. So when we're thinking about a subversive hope, we're talking about a kind of hope that is based on something completely different from our worldly understanding of hope. God overthrows what it means to hope. He turns it on its head. Author and theologian Timothy Keller calls this the great reversal. So what does that look like? Throughout the Bible, we see that God chooses the opposite of what the world says we should desire. The world says we should desire success and beauty, strength, wisdom, wealth. We see this everywhere we go. You only have to watch one set of advert breaks on the telly to see what it is that the world values. But not God. He undermines the values of the world. Our reading says God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God continually chooses the weak, the oppressed, the poor, the foolish. We see this time and again. God used the foolish Jonah, who, when he heard from the Lord, decided that his best bet was to run away and to cause a crisis, not only for him, but for all the sailors whose boat he joined. And yet it was him who God chose to bring the Ninevites to a place where they turned from their evil ways and for at least the meantime, avoided destruction. He used Joseph, who was rejected by his family, 
cast out and imprisoned to save not only his family, but all of Egypt from famine and death. He used the young, weak David to bring down the giant, strong Goliath. He used Ruth, a widow, a member of a despised race, not only to protect her mother-in-law in a foreign land, but to be a foremother for King David and of Jesus himself. He used Sarah and he used Abraham in their old age to become parents, to become parents of a nation, the nation he established his covenant with. God continually takes the people who the world consigns to the margins and he brings them into the center. Maybe you can relate to this. I mean, maybe not in such a big, grand way, but maybe you have an experience yourself or you know someone who in their weakness, God has used and he's given them strength. For me, this talk is an example of that. I have a little boy called Zach. He is lovely. He is one. I am tired. I have just gone back to work after maternity leave. It's fine, but I am tired. I'm also pregnant, and I am really tired. And this week, I was especially tired. And I only had yesterday to prepare this talk. In my ideal world, I'd have like two to three weeks I'd read six or seven books, listen to some podcasts, collate it all together. That, you can't do that in a day. I fell asleep on the sofa at about half eight, nine o'clock on Friday night. I was really tired and had a rubbish night's sleep. And Saturday, I was like, God, <laughs> I've got nothing. I absolutely cannot do this. Only you can give me something to say. And I will leave it to you to think about whether it was a good something or not. In some ways, that's irrelevant. I've got something to say, and I know that's because of God. Out of my weakness, God has been strong. Maybe you can relate. We see it most clearly in the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. His character and his actions display the radical difference of his kingdom. He spoke against the racial hatred of the time. He didn't just welcome the Jew, but he welcomed the Gentile too. He accepted the outcasts, welcoming tax collectors and sinners to spend time with him. He touched the leper. He gave time to children and he didn't rush them away. He praised the poor and he respected women Now, this might seem obvious to us. We've heard these things before. But in Jesus' time, it wasn't the obvious thing to do. It was radical, it was different, and people will have been surprised. It was significant. He turned things on their head. But more than that, in his very nature, Jesus displays the subversive hope of the gospel. He is the great reversal. The kingdom came not in wealth, but in poverty. Not in the spotlight, but in the shadows. 
He did not come with the power and might expected of the Savior. Rather, he came in humility to serve, giving up his power and his privilege. Jesus brought about redemption, not as one would have expected. It didn't seem like a triumph to those around him. He was rejected and condemned, tortured and executed. But God raised Jesus from the dead, not in spite of his death, but because of it. And with his resurrection, Jesus redeemed and saved his people. God sees and does things differently to the way the world expects. I wonder how this makes you feel. I expect it depends a bit on how you see yourself. Perhaps right now, because of your own personal circumstances, it's easy to see yourself as weak, as poor, as foolish, as insignificant. If this is how you're feeling right now, I expect and I hope that this really encourages you. God came for and chooses those people. He came for you and he chooses you. Not in spite of your weakness, but because of it. But perhaps you are thinking, well actually, worldly speaking, I'm relatively successful at work, at home. Maybe you don't see yourself as rich, but actually you don't see yourself or consider yourself to be poor either. And actually, maybe you are feeling incredibly um, physically or mentally strong right now. What does this mean for you? Well, I hope this doesn't come as a shock, but um, that all may be true for you. But the reality is, despite how successful or rich or strong you are, spiritually, you cannot save yourself. We are all sinners. We have all done wrong. And no matter how hard we might try, none of us can put that right ourselves. It is only by acknowledging our utter weakness, our helplessness, and our need that we can accept the gracious gift of salvation from God. The great reversal, this subversive hope, is good news for us all. None of us have it all together. We can't. But in admitting our weakness, our need, God turns things on their head. And instead of the punishment we deserve, we are offered eternal life through Jesus Christ. This is good news. And it's good news for those of us who know God, who know our sin and have repented and received from him salvation. But... It is also good news for those who don't yet know God. The hope of God is radically different and it's on offer for everyone. 
our vision is about offering hope. It's about offering hope to one another. But more than that, it's about offering hope to South Sea and the people who don't yet know the radical, subversive hope of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I personally feel like our world needs this hope now, possibly more than ever before. COVID has left people feeling weak and fragile. It's left some jobless and poor. The cost of living is at crisis point, with some people struggling to feed their families. The war in Ukraine has displaced and left thousands of people homeless. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. The things the world values, stability, strength, uh, riches, success, they're hard to come by right now. But God doesn't value those things. He loves the weak and the poor and the lonely. He saves and he uses them for his glory, not despite those things, but because of them. He makes the weak strong, the poor rich. He puts the lonely in families and he defends the defendless. And I believe that it's our job to let those who don't yet know that hope know it and hear about it. Because it's only when we realise how needy and helpless we are that we realise that we're all, we're all the same. None of us is better than another. We all need the hope and the save, saviour. We can't do it ourselves. We need God. We can't do it on our own merit. If I can put it this way, we are all the underdogs. The end of our reading this morning said, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And it is our job to boast of the hope and the salvation that Jesus offers. This radical hope, this great reversal, this subversive hope that is different from what the world offers. We are called to offer that to the people around us. Let us pray.